AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. My choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hey, Daniel, not that I'm looking, but where could I find the world's biggest laser? Oh, that's here in the United States at the National Ignition Facility. They have 192 beams. Oh, man, sounds awesome. How about the world's biggest telescope? That's actually also an American project at Mount Graham in Arizona. It's 12 meters across. Oh, wow, 12 meters. Impressive. And who's got the record for the biggest particle accelerator. Hmm, that's actually a European project. That's the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. What happened? Why don't Americans have the record for that too? Well, you know, we could have had a super jumbo Texas-sized collider. Well, let's just say there's a super story there. Nice. It's a Texas-sized tall tale, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's a true story of intrigue and politics. It's a super colliding story. Cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist, and I definitely want more government dollars to build bigger particle colliders. Nice. I think we both agree on that. I also want more dollars. <laughs> you didn't specify what you're going to do with all that government cash. <laughs> Make more podcast episodes. <laughs> so welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. A super podcast in which we super collide your brain with super crazy ideas. We go all over the universe to talk about the biggest things, the smallest things, the weirdest things, but mostly we talk about the most wondrous and curiosity-invoking things, the things we want to understand and the things that science is working right now, every day, 24-7, in white lab coats to figure out for That's you. That's right, all of the amazing and wonderful things to discover out there in the universe. But we also kind of like to talk about the process of discovery because, you know, it's a human endeavor and there are a lot of interesting stories that happen in our search for the truth about the universe. That's right. Science is for people. It's not for just AI bots to digest and understand. We do it because it's our curiosity about the universe. It's the things that we want to know. And so not only is it done for people, it's done by people. And those people have names and jobs and real lives and ambitions, and they make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes are supersized. Yeah, and sometimes science is even done on people. <laughs> I am fortunately not involved in any of that kind of science. <laughs> you never had a particle collide with you, Daniel? <laughs> I am particles and I collide with particles, but I've never intentionally collided particles with people for science. 
you know, that's actually one of the only positive spinoffs of particle physics is mm. that you can use particle beams to treat cancer. That's right. Yeah. But mostly we build these big particle colliders because we want to replicate the situation in the early universe. We want to create a little environment where nature can reveal to us some of the secrets of how the universe is put together. But it is a human endeavor. And as such, there are always a lot of interesting stories about how discoveries are made or what people were thinking at the time. And sometimes great stories about big experiments and why they didn't work or why they work or why some of them weren't even built. That's right. The history of particle physics is sort of an escalating series of colliders, bigger and bigger, more and more energy probing higher and higher into the secrets of nature. They got bigger and bigger and more and more expensive until one day they got maybe too big. And so right now the Europeans have the biggest particle collider, basically, as far as we know, in the universe, right? As far as we know, the biggest <laughs> collider. As far as we know, although, you know, it doesn't create the most energetic particles we've seen, mm. those come from space. And so it could be that there are alien particle physicists out there shooting their particle accelerator at oh, us. So it's the biggest human-made particle right, accelerator. Right. That we know of. That we know of. And so the Europeans have it at the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, right? That's the biggest one. Mm -hmm. That's the record holder. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, why don't the Americans have it? You know, we have the biggest laser, the biggest telescope, and the biggest gravitational wave detector, at least at the moment. So there's kind of an interesting story there. And so today on the podcast, we'll be asking the question... What happened to the superconducting super collider? It's super mysterious. <laughs> it's super fascinating. And it's something that came up briefly in a podcast episode we did a couple of weeks ago about the discovery of the Higgs boson. Mm. And we mentioned the superconducting super collider. And I remember you were like, what? Is that a real name for a real thing? It sounds like you just made that up. <laughs> yeah. Why would you put super twice in a title? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's like an extra superlative. Yeah, it's so good they used it twice. And a lot of listeners were curious about this and wanted to hear more about this incredibly named super collider. So we decided to do a whole episode on why people built it and what it meant and why it didn't end up getting finished. Right. And this is kind of part of the story of particle physics in the sense that, you know, I guess we started probably with like small little particle colliders and then mm -hmm. they've just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. And the question is, maybe one of these got too big. Yeah, because the only thing that limits us from building them bigger is money. The more money you give us, the bigger the collider that you can build, but also the more secrets you can reveal from nature. So it's sort of like you can just buy information. Like you want to know more about the basic way the universe works, spend more money. It's really very direct. But, you know, we live in practical times and there's not always infinite cash to fund your science projects. So these machines operate in a political environment. They need support. They need funding. They need continued funding to be finished. And so it's a fascinating story of sort of how much money you could ask for for your particle physics toys. Yeah, I guess science is political in itself, but also it depends on politics. Right. That's right. Well, you know, we try not to be political. We're serving up information that's, of course, used to make important political and policy decisions. But we try to be as fact based as possible. But anytime you're spending money, that's political. Right. And any dollar you're spending on a particle collider is a dollar you're not spending on poverty programs or on weapon systems or on anything else. And so it's always a political decision about how much to spend on science and what kind of science to spend it on. That's right. Do you want the biggest laser, the biggest telescope, or the biggest <laughs> microscope? And there's another fascinating angle there in that most of these experiments end up being pretty international. Like the folks on them, like me, I don't really care if it's a Russian or a Chinese person or a South American or a Canadian who's working with me. But when we sell these projects to our national governments who fund them, a lot of times we end up pitching them like, hey, this is an American national project. Pride project. All right. So as usual, Daniel went out there into the internet to ask how many people out there knew about the almost built superior superconducting super collider. Superlatively named. And so before you listen to these answers, think about what comes to mind when you hear the words superconducting super collider. Here's what people had to say. It was a particle accelerator that was planned for the United States. I think it was meant for Texas. And I believe it was supposed to be two or three times bigger than what we have uh, at the LHC at CERN. But I could be wrong on that part. 
and it never happened because the U.S. government uh, cut funding for it. Uh, actually, I have never heard the word superconducting super collider. I think it's similar to the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, uh, but um, but only colliding the conductive particles, maybe. Two things stand out to me. One is you say it in past tense, so it's not around anymore. And the second one is there's a lot of supers being used. So, I mean, superconductor makes sense because that means that it's very efficient and it's not losing any energy as heat or other items. So the difference between a conductor and a superconductor is understood, but a super collider, that's, so if you've got a regular collider, I'm wondering what the difference between a large collider and a super collider is. So that sounds like it is massive or planning on crashing large items together. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm super anxious to find out. If I have the right one, the superconducting super collider was the United States' attempt to create the biggest uh, super collider before CERN was created. I believe we tried to do it down in Texas or something like that, and uh, Congress just uh, either never approved the funding or cut off the funding. All right. I like these answers. They're pretty super. I like the person who broke it down. They're like trying to figure <laughs> it out. Like you used the past tense. So I know it's not around anymore and there's a lot of supers, so it must be pretty cool. I was impressed. Yeah, they made a lot of progress just based on the name of the thing and how I wrote the question. So yeah. super job to that yeah. person. Like uh, asking if a super is bigger than large. That <laughs> sounds like a Starbucks question. Is venti larger than small? <laughs> Who knows? I'd like a venti conducting hypercollider. <laughs> Coffee. Grande collider. Right. <laughs> all right. So this was a big experiment that was almost built. So step us through it, Daniel. What was the superconducting supercollider? So the superconducting supercollider, it's really a tragedy. And it still pains me to this day that we didn't build this thing. Because not only would it have been a huge collider, it would have been the biggest collider of its time. And even still today, it would be bigger than any collider we have now. Mm. You know, we measure these colliders, not just in size, like it doesn't really matter how physically large they are. Yes, it does, Daniel. <laughs> if you're going to put it in Texas, it has to be the biggest one. <laughs> we measure these things in terms of their energy. So it really is about the energy of the particles. Because remember, the goal of building a big collider is not just to say, look upon my works, ye mighty. It's because we want to create a lot of energy in a small space because that allows us to probe really massive particles. Remember, E equals MC squared. Mm. If you put a lot of energy into a small space, then as long as you're above some M that nature has, you can create that particle. And so it's a great way to just sort of like search the cosmos for new kinds of particles without knowing in advance that they are there. Right. It's, it's kind of like having a big telescope and just having more magnification or having a better microscope and having better, you know, ability to look at smaller things. It's like the more energy you have, the more you can probe what happens at the quantum level. Yeah. And it's very similar to having a more powerful microscope because the more energy you have, literally the smaller distance scale you can probe because there's this anti-correlation between sort of the width of the wave function and the energy of the particle. Mm. And so the higher the energy you're probing, the smaller the feature you can look at, for example, like inside the proton or inside the quark or whatever. Oh, I see. Hmm. It's like literally the particles are smaller the faster they go, kind of. Uh, sort of. You know, it's like you can probe substructures of the proton or if there is substructure to the quarks or to the electrons, you can see them only with a higher energy collider that can break those tight bonds and, and sort of resolve them at those very high energies. Mm. And so, yeah, we want to explore the universe. And one great way to do that is to create these really high energy collisions. So again, it's not about the size of the collider, it's about the energy stored. And we measure that in terms of electron volts, but there's so many electron volts in these collisions that we have a crazy unit called tera electron volts, trillion electron volts. And to orient you, a billion electron volts is about how much energy there's stored in a proton. Mm. So a tera electron volts is like a thousand times the energy of a proton. I see. Take me um, back in history. So we're talking about the 80s, right? So the superconducting super collider was going to be built in the 80s and it was actually conceived by Ronald Reagan, the president. Yeah. And so we're back in the Cold War, you know, and back then 
a lot of science was closely linked to national pride mm. and to, you know, national security. People felt like as long as we were on the cutting edge of science, including space and including particle physics and weapons physics, that we were secure and we were beating the Russians wow. or the Soviets at the time in all these technologies, which, you know, contributed to our national defense, dot, dot, right. dot. It's literally like bragging rights, like the, the moonshot, like getting to the yeah. moon, you know, didn't directly improve our national security. But just being able to say that we did it and they didn't, just it was just kind of a, a national pride thing. Yeah, I think it motivates the population and uh, makes us feel secure and all that stuff. And there's also some direct spinoffs, you know, going to the moon helps you develop rockets, which is important for ICBMs for, you know, dropping weapons on your enemy's populations and all sorts of terrible things. Particle physics is much less direct, right? Maybe if you are understanding the nature of the universe, eventually you could tap into that energy source or build new things or whatever. But, you know, World War II was a lesson that like nuclear physics and particle physics could directly lead to weapons technology. You know, the development of the atomic bomb and the understanding of the atom. So there was a lot of ideas wrapped up in there, like we should be at the forefront. Americans should be at the leading edge of particle right. physics. Are you telling me that no politician at that time said the words, you mean you want to build a giant particle gun? Great. <laughs> Can we aim it? <laughs> you definitely can't aim this kind of thing at all. And, you know, at the time people were thinking about particle guns, but mostly in terms of Star Wars. Yeah. This is more for science. And so this was a project originally conceived by Reagan. And they thought, well, let's build a huge particle collider bigger than anybody's ever built one before. And we'll just put American particle physics on the map. I mean, we already were sort of leaders in this area. Mm -hmm. A lot of Nobel Prizes for developing the technology behind particle colliders. And, you know, and Lawrence developed the synchrotron technology. So Americans were already leaders. And this was like, let's hang on to the leadership in this area. Mm. And so it was like 1983 and he started this project. But these things take, you know, decades to plan and decades to build. And so you're at the mercy of the changing political mm. times. Right, because you can change uh, government in between a project or lose okay. support. Potentially. Absolutely. And, you know, then the Berlin Wall fell down and the Soviet Union collapsed and we no longer had the same adversary, which fueled the Cold War, which made us want to necessarily fight these battles and, uh, you know, mm. beat the Russians. All right. So Reagan was involved. He championed it and it was aiming pretty high. Like at the time, what was the biggest collider in terms of energy? The Europeans were planning their own collider, which was going to be around 13 or 14 tera electron volts. That eventually became the LHC. Mm. The LHC was on a similar timescale to the superconducting super collider. Of course, it ended up being delayed by 10 years, et cetera, et cetera. But that's sort of the scales like 14 TeV at CERN. But this one, the superconducting super collider, this thing was going to be 40 TeV. Wow. It was going to three be times. almost three times more energetic than the LHC is today. Wow. that's They were swinging for the fences. They really were. And they were like, let's go really, really big. And you can read the stories at the time and the discussions among the physicists. And some of them were thinking, wow, that's really big. Like, is that maybe too big? Should we go for 35? Should we go for 30? <laughs> and a lot of this internal discussion was like, no, we got to hold for 40 because if we start sliding down, they're just going to dial the knob down and then we're just going to get a small one like the Europeans are getting. Oh, I see. Start high. Start high. Have and, a big starting offer. <laughs> but there was also, there was some, you know, uh, arrogance there. They were like, you know, America's in the lead. There's no way the government's not going to build this thing and fund this thing. Had a lot of political support in the beginning. And so they thought, you know, let's just ask for as much as we can get. There's no way they're going to cancel this thing. Mm, famous last words. <laughs> famous last words. They flew a little too close to the sun. There's no way they're going to cancel this podcast, Daniel. <laughs> no way they are going to cancel this podcast. <laughs> Not until it costs as much as the superconducting <laughs> super collider. And we're a ways off from that. But they had a, a huge uh, competition to see where this thing should go. Mm. Because it's such a big project. They can't just say, well, look. Fermilab is the center of particle physics. We'll just put it there. It was, you know, a billions and billions of dollar project. So they had to have it politically balanced. And they had this big competition. And Texas offered a lot of money to help build the thing. So they decided to put it south of Dallas in this town called Waxahachie, Texas. It was a really little town. And they were going to build the thing. It was going to be all the way around the town. Like the whole town was going to be surrounded by this thing. Wow. All right. Well, let's get into what happened and what we learned from this project. But first, let's take a quick break. 
Physicists are famously sticklers for detail. And when it comes to the fine print contracts and hidden fees from wireless providers, I've learned that there's always a catch somewhere. So when I heard that the Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, where's the catch? But now I'm convinced there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online, so they cut out the cost of retail stores and they pass all those savings directly to you. So you can say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, draw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All of Mint Mobile's plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month go to mintmobile.com slash universe that's mintmobile.com slash universe cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe additional taxes fees and restrictions apply see mint mobile for details how do you feel about eating plastic if you went to a restaurant and saw plastic on the menu would you order it well turns out that we're all eating and drinking roughly a credit card's worth of plastic every week yep that's right the products we're using every day are ultimately contaminating our water supply, generating hundreds of microplastics that we end up ingesting. Yuck. Well, what can we do about it? Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's not complicated. Refillable cleaning products without sacrificing on design. Their products have a beautiful, cohesive style that looks great on your counter. My family got the sampler pack and it already smelled great when we opened the box. Everything works super well, stuff gets really clean, and it's all super easy to use. So it's no extra hassle in our lives and we feel great knowing we're generating less plastic waste. Blueland has a special offer for listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash universe. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash universe for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash universe to get 15% off. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, we're talking about the superlatively, superiorly named superconducting super collider, which was almost built in a small town outside of Texas in the 80s, started by Reagan, but it was never built. And so the question is, what happened? But did they have a name for it? Was it the superconducting super collider from the start? Uh, there were a lot of names floated around. You know, some people wanted to call it the Desertron because it was out there. The Desertron? No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yes. Or even worse, some people wanted to call it the Gippertron oh, for Ronald boy. Reagan, you know, because he championed the project. They should have called it the Reagantron. Yeah, there were some pretty silly names. He is a, he is a little robotic himself. <laughs> that makes it sound like you're colliding Reagans. And, you know, we only have one of them. <laughs> Reagans, I guess, you know. <laughs> so they actually did start building this thing. I mean, they decided to build mm. it. They started spending they approved the money. money. They approved the money. They started spending the money. What they was the initial budget for it? The initial budget for this thing, you know, depends on what you call initial. And these things always start out for, you know, a couple billion dollars. And in 87, Congress was told it was going to be, oh, it's going to be about four billion dollars, four and a half billion dollars. And then a few years later, the project cost looks like they were rising to Eight billion, ten billion, eventually up to like twelve billion dollars. What? In comparison, the Large Hadron Collider was about a ten billion dollar project. So, twelve billion for a collider three times the size of the LHC is not really that outrageous, right? But you know, they sold it for four, and then it turned out costing twelve 
So they're in a bit of a political bind right. there. And these days, like a few billion dollars, I feel like we throw that number around like like nothing. <laughs> well, these days in the epic of the pandemic, you know, we're spending tons of money just to dig ourselves out of this economic hole. But you're right, in in the scale of like government projects, a few billion dollars is not a lot of money. It's right. a, it's an aircraft carrier. It's half an aircraft yeah. carrier. It's a few fighter jets. It's, yeah. it's not that much money for secrets of the universe. But it's a lot of money for science. Mm. You know, the only other project that had ever been at this scale was like the International Space Station, which also ballooned in cost and went up from $10 billion to $100 billion. All right, so it, it ballooned in cost. And, and what happened? Like, did they start digging and suddenly they hit rock or something? Why did they underestimate or why did costs go up? Well, costs always go up. You know, these are physicists. They're not financial planners. <laughs> <laughs> You just gave me so much assurance <laughs> here, Daniel, as your business partner. One problem was that we expected or we hoped for international cooperation. We were hoping other countries were going to be like, hey, that sounds like a great project. We'll pitch in a billion or here's a half um, billion here for this piece. And that's commonplace these days for the big international projects. For example, the U.S. contributed huge amounts of money, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars towards the LHC. And it's like it's like you're buying a place at the table or at the, at the science mm -hmm. table kind of, right? Like mm -hmm. Japan can be like, hey, here's a few billion dollars, but we get dibs on having a certain number of scientists. Or is it like office space? What do you negotiate? Well, that's a great question. Really what you get is just access to the data. You get to use the data to do science, mm. but it's a little thickier. It's also, it's just national pride. Like you can say, this was a Japanese project oh, and see. the Japanese parliament can say, look, we approved this thing. And look, the Higgs boson was discovered using Japanese technology and Japanese scientists. And there's a lot of national pride involved. Wow. Like we're awesome. Yeah. Like Congress would have preferred if the money they spent to build the LHC had been spent on an American collider to discover the Higgs boson on American soil. Mm. I mean, I don't personally care. I'm happy to work with international scientists. I think the whole nationalism in science thing is a red herring, but it's also important to the people who make the political decisions about money. So you got to play that game a little bit. Mm. Anyway, the Americans, they hype this thing so much as an American project that the international community didn't really want to jump on board. Really? You know, you can't be like, look, this is an awesome American red, white, and blue project. We're going to dominate this thing. Oh, and by the way, can we have a billion dollars? <laughs> so you can be part of our American is awesome project. Yeah. And, you know, CERN was building their competing set of colliders, the Large Electron Positron Collider and also the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider. So they weren't going to be pitching in. And so um, we were going to ask the Japanese for a bunch of money. But then we actually got really unlucky with that one. Mm, what happened? So that by then it was Bush, Bush Sr. That's who right. was president. Bush was president. And there was a bit of a political delicate moment there in the Japanese government. And were they going to support this thing? And so the Americans got Bush to agree to raise this issue with the Japanese prime minister in person. And, you know, he doesn't get that much time. You got to really be like an important issue to get all the way up to like the presidential negotiation level. Mm -hmm. So everybody was primed for Bush to like press this issue with the Japanese prime minister. But I don't know if you remember, there was this one trip where Bush went to Japan and they were having a fancy dinner and he actually fainted and puked on the prime minister. As he was about to ask about the uh, this collider? Yeah, that was the night he was supposed to ask for money no for the way. superconducting super collider. But instead, you know, rolfed on his lap. And oh, so, man, it's like, hey, yeah. can you give us a <laughs> <laughs> And so that didn't work out, you know, so we didn't end up getting money from Japan. Really? Do you think the Japanese based that decision on the puking? No, I think it just never really got discussed. Oh. You know, if this is a priority for Americans, they're going to bring it up. This is our opportunity. It just sort of didn't happen. And then other things came up that were more important. Mm. And so the Japanese didn't contribute. So it was going to be an all-American project. And, you know, costs start going up and nobody else is helping out. And then the political support started to dwindle. Mm. But they did start digging and they started spending money. They spent like billions of dollars. They dug kilometers and kilometers of tunnels. Mm. Well, uh, maybe uh, take a step back here and paint a picture for us. So this was going to be three times more powerful than the LHC. And it's a collider. So what are we talking about? Like a tunnel, a ring, a building? What, what, mm -hmm. what was this collider going to look like? Well, you got to build a whole new laboratory, right? The consequences of not building it at Fermilab, where you already have a laboratory and a community and land, is that you got to buy new land, build a whole new laboratory and build the collider itself. 
The Collider itself is a huge tunnel and it was going to be 90 kilometers around. So you have to dig this tunnel underground that's 90 kilometers in circumference. Wow. And then in it, you got to build the instrument, the actual collider itself, which is, you know, a series of vacuum tubes and little accelerator cavities and magnets to bend the thing. So it's a lot of work. It's a huge piece of infrastructure. You're talking about a, a ring, like a tunnel in the shape of a circle, kind of like the Large Hadron Collider, but bigger, I imagine? Much bigger. Like if you looked at a map, you could fit like, you know, eight LHCs inside the superconducting supercollider. I mean, the Large Hadron Collider is like 30 kilometers around. This thing's 90 kilometers around. Wow. So it's much bigger. And it was so big, in fact, they were going to make it not a perfectly a circle. They were going to have some straight shot parts of it, like stretch out the circle Why? into more of like an oblong. Well, you don't need to bend it all the time. Oh. You can have linear sections where you just accelerate kind it. Like a running track. Yeah, like a running track. Exactly. But then they had to build experimental halls where they were going to surround the collider with the detectors to see the collisions. And you had to build a whole place for the scientists to live. Wow. And, you know, one problem was just like getting scientists out there. You know, you're working at Fermilab, you're living in Chicago, and now your next job opportunity is like Waxahachie, Texas. It was not always that attractive, you know, nothing against small town Texas, but not everybody right. wanted to move there. Right. So there were a lot of obstacles to getting this thing off the ground. They had to convince Starbucks to open a branch there. <laughs> it was a mess. And you need a bigger circle because the more energy that you have in your beam and your particles that you're accelerating, it's harder to kind of make them go in a circle and they, they're going faster. That's right. That's what the magnets are for. They're there to curve it into a circle. So you either need a larger tunnel if they're going faster, or you need stronger magnets. And so the Large Hadron Collider made a different choice. They were like, we're going to build our collider inside an existing tunnel. We're just going to work really, really hard on the magnet technology to make them bend even harder. So the LHC went for smaller tunnel, bigger magnets. And the superconducting super collider were like, hey, we're in Texas. Let's just make it huge and not worry so much about the magnets. <laughs> I see. Because it's tricky, right? I mean, those magnets are really tricky. Those magnets are really tricky. And that's the superconducting part. Mm. Even though the magnets at the SSC weren't going to be as powerful as the LHC, they still had to be really, really cold. Because remember, these are electromagnets. And the way you generate those magnets is you have loops of wire in a coil. You turn it on the current and you get a magnet through the center of it. And the stronger the current, the stronger the magnet. And if you have superconducting coils, then you have really high currents and you have really strong magnets. So these things are cooled down to super cold temperatures to be superconducting for super strong magnets. Wow. All right. So they, they planned it. They actually grew up the plants and they actually started building it. Like they dug up the tunnel. Yeah, there's 23 kilometers of tunnel that they dug and are still there. They spent $2 billion building buildings and digging this tunnel. But then they started to lose support in Congress. Mm. So now it's like 1992 or so. Enthusiasm is right. waning a little bit because not only does it seem like the Cold War is sort of over, uh, there was a huge amount of money being spent on the International Space Station. And people didn't have the appetite for like two of these massive projects. I see. Oh, and also, I think we started going into a recession or something, didn't we? Yep, exactly. And so we weren't just like spending money out the wazoo anymore. And so it was in 1992, the U.S. House of Representatives actually voted to kill this project. What? And, you know, it needed authorization every single year. It's not like, you know, some centrally planned government where you can say, here's 20 years worth of funding oh. and the government's not going to change. The House changes every two years and, you know, they had to reauthorize funding right. all the time. Because they get the bill every year. Every year they look at the budget and the bill and they're like, what? Yep. This is now... Yep. Six billion dollars. Yeah. And so if you're a project that's going to take 20 years to fund, you need to be approved 20 times, basically, in order to be completed. Wow. So in 92, the House killed it. But then the Senate saved it. The Senate was like, no, this is a big deal. It's still important. You know, the Senate is sort of slower moving than the House. Those guys have six year terms, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it was saved. And, you know, Carlo Rubia, the guy who was ended up being the director of CERN, he came over and testified to Congress and he said, you guys are wasting your money because we're building a collider at CERN and it's going to be just as good and it's going to be turned on before yours and you're wasting your time and your money. What? 
but it was three times smaller. It was smaller and his collider was 10 years behind schedule. But, you uh-huh. know, it was in competition. He wanted the Europeans to discover the Higgs boson or what lay beyond it. And so he didn't want the American competition. <sighs> we totally got bamboozled. <laughs> we did. We got rubied. We got faked out. We did get faked out. And, you know, at that point, it was well over its budget. It looked like it was going to cost like $12 billion. And now uh, Clinton was president. And Clinton was not terribly excited to spend a lot of money on a project that seemed like Ronald Reagan's pet project. Oh, I see. He didn't want to spend the money on the Gibbertron. <laughs> the Gibbertron, exactly. If we had named it the Clintron, you know, then maybe it would have succeeded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. The Billathon. <laughs> yeah. You guys should have played that game a little better. <laughs> and, you know, it had criticism not just from politicians, but also from other scientists. Mm. Scientists in other fields felt like, hey, this is too much money. Particle physicists been hogging the budget for years. This is unfair. Even other particle physicists were thinking, look, this one massive project is just sort of like pulling all the oxygen out of the room. You can't get funding for any other kind of particle physics experiment. Some people thought instead of having one mega project, we should have like a healthy ecosystem of smaller Mm, ones. Right, because if this project is taking the $12 billion, that's $12 billion that is not going to other science projects. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a zero-sum game, right? Like, there is a lot more money than $12 billion in the U.S. government. If they decide to spend this much, they might not necessarily cut it from other projects, right? And when people talk about, is $10 billion worth it to build another collider? You know, you don't necessarily have to assume that $10 billion is coming from other science projects. Maybe it's coming from the defense budget, or maybe it's just an investment. You borrow the money from the future, you know, buy bonds, and then invest in basic research and in education. Mm. In my view, it's always good to spend money on basic research, particle physics or otherwise, because it pays for itself. You get that money back in terms of educating your population or understanding the universe or whatever. Right. So it, it's a complicated political right, question. But preferably right? particle physics. <laughs> Near the top of the list, at least, you know. Particle <laughs> physics, then cartoonists, That's right. then podcasts. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into what we could have learned from this project and what happened when it was canceled. But first, let's take another quick break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you ready to instill your littlest scholar with a love of learning? Introducing the Preschool Course from the Good and the Beautiful. Enrich curious minds with engaging hands-on material that cultivates an appreciation for literature, art, God, family, and nature. This award-winning system uses a balanced approach to introduce letters, numbers, fine motor skills, and more. Start your journey now at goodandbeautiful.com. The good and the beautiful, bringing home a love of learning. All right, Daniel, so the superconducting super collider, biggest collider ever to be built in Texas, 
just got killed by the house. And uh, what was the reaction? Well, in, it was in 93. It was finally killed. And, you know, in particle physics, people felt like the world had ended, you know. Really? They couldn't believe it. They thought, look, we've built this big thing. We've already gotten funding. We started building a tunnel. We're the most important kind of physics there is. There's a lot of arrogance in particle physics, I will admit. And, <laughs> and so they were just totally shocked. They were totally shocked. Mm. And a lot of people lost their jobs and left the field, you know, because suddenly the field shrank. All of a sudden there aren't these 2000 positions at the Superconducting Super Collider Laboratory to support people. People had left their jobs oh. at universities to move down there and work full time at this lab, which was now, you know, become <sighs> a ghost town. Mm. So the whole field just contracted, like the right. number of particle physicists shrank, not just the number of colliders and the amount of money spent on stuff, but the number of people involved. Right. And a lot of those people went into finance. Wow. To make money. To make money. And <laughs> you know what's partially the cause for the financial collapse in the 2007 and 2008 was a lot of physicists no. working on Wall Street, not really, one, not really understanding what they're what? doing. What? <laughs> You're drawing a line directly from... Physicists leaving the field in 93 to the economic collapse of 2008? I'm not drawing a line. I'm just saying one thing and then I'm saying the other thing. Oh, and I see. There's a, there's a correlation you're saying. I didn't even say there's a correlation. I just said the one thing and then the other thing happened. But I will note... I'm pretty sure you said that was the cause, Daniel. If we can, let's rewind the tape. But I will note that I think it's always a mistake to not invest in That's basic right. research. Keep, keep physicists away from the actual money and just give them the money. I do think that's smart. I do not think it's a good idea to have physicists in finance. <laughs> anyway, um, there was sort of a celebration in other fields. What? Like condensed matter physics that always felt like particle physics got too much of the pie. You know, they thought this comeuppance for high energy physics was long overdue. Wow. They were dancing in your grave. They were in the street celebrating. Yeah, they sort of were. They sort of were. And of course, it left an opening for the Europeans to build their collider and discover the Higgs boson. Right. And they did. And they did. I mean, a, a few, uh, 20 years later. <laughs> 20 years later, exactly. But it, uh, you know, it was it sent shockwaves into particle physics that I still felt a few years later. I didn't join the field until like 97, 98 when I graduated from college and started grad school. And people were still reeling from this. You know, it was like a, the thing that happened that nobody wanted to talk about, but it left a huge mark on the field. Mm. The project that shall not be named. <laughs> project that shall not be finished. That should have been named the Billotron, <laughs> the Clintron, but now we don't now talk we don't about talk it. about it anymore, yeah. Oh. All right, well, that's a shame and sort of, um, I guess, a, a tragedy and a victim of politics and changing, you know, political landscapes. So maybe step us through. Let's rub it in, Daniel. What could we have learned <laughs> from this, from the Gippertron? What would that's the, potentially what 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 amazing <laughs> discoveries did we miss out on? Well, we don't know, but maybe that's the most painful part for me personally, because I feel like we could have purchased knowledge. We could have pulled back the curtain and seen what nature has. And we still don't know the answer to those questions, but we could have those today, you know. So number one, we would have found the Higgs boson. And we would have found it 10 or 15 years earlier. Mm. You know, if the superconducting super collider had been built and turned on like expected, you know, around the year 2000, wow. then it would have been so powerful. It would have found the Higgs boson very quickly. You think so? And, you know, that's uh, 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely equipped. You don't think there would have been delays or like you would have looked in the wrong place by accident? <laughs> uh, no, it's powerful enough to definitely discover it. Of course, there could always be delays. That certainly happens in a lot of these big experiments. But, you know, they started building this thing in the 80s. They started digging the tunnel in the 80s. It seemed pretty likely it was going to turn on 2000, 2001, that kind of time scale. Mm. And so the sooner you build these things, the earlier you learn this stuff and the further down the road you are to answering some mysteries of the universe. Right. I don't really care if Americans or Europeans discover the Higgs boson, but we would have found it sooner. We would have had the answer to these questions. And there was a whole decade there where we didn't know if Higgs boson existed, if it was real or not. And we could have been in the know. And so to me, that sort of tension, like we could have known this sooner. That's really worth a lot. Mm, right. Because we ain't getting younger. <laughs> so the sooner we get answers, the, the better, right? Yeah. You don't want to discover the secrets of the universe after you're dead. That's right. But the, the really painful part is just the missed opportunity for future exploration. I mean, we're really limited by the energy of these machines. The more energy is in the machine, the easier it is to create these new really heavy particles. And the thing that we don't know is where are the new particles? 
After the Higgs boson, what else is there to discover? People have ideas, but they're just really ideas. And we can talk about some of those in a moment. But the point is that this is untapped territory. We don't know what to expect. You just have to go look. It's sort of like landing on a new alien planet, right? Opening up the hatch and walking around. You don't know if it's going to be dust and rubble and nothingness, or if it's going to be like filled with crazy things that blow your mind. Mm. And so we could have turned this thing on. We could have pulled back the curtain. There could be things waiting for us to discover that we might have found. Now, the LHC, it found the Higgs boson, but so far it's found nothing else. And that tells us that maybe it needed more energy. Maybe we needed a bigger collider in order to find those secrets, in order to unravel some of the mysteries that we're struggling with today. Right. It could be like, like the mysteries of the universe, the pink unicorns are just above what the LHC can do. It could be, right? It could also be that there's nothing there and we'd build a 40 TeV collider <laughs> and found nothing. But... You can't tell. I see. Or just like found the Higgs boson and that's it. Yeah. But you can't tell unless if you don't look. And the amount of money mm. we're talking about, you know, a few billion dollars, it just, it pales in comparison to like the amount of just money wasted on toilets by the military. So it pains me to think that we almost pulled back the curtain and could have seen these things if they are there, but didn't. You know, it's like if somebody right, told you, right. oh, you could have landed a spaceship on this exoplanet and we could have had pictures of it right now. Like, wow, that would be exciting. How much would you pay for pictures of the surface of exoplanets? I would pay billions of dollars, you know, of government money. Personally? <laughs> I would write the check from the U.S. Treasury for billions of dollars. You're like, I would spend billions of dollars of other people's money. It's our totally. money. It's our money, man. We are the taxpayers. <laughs> we earned that money. We gave it to the government. We want them to do good right. stuff with it. Right. Well, is is the door closed? Like, just because this collider didn't take off or was built, isn't the LHC upgrading itself? And aren't there plans for a bigger collider now? Yeah, there are plans. There's conversations about building a 100 TEV collider, what? which would dwarf even the superconducting super collider. The super duper. But you know. Super. The super duper <laughs> the conducting super duper collider. <laughs> what we got to do is figure out who's going to be president in 15 years and name it after that person. <laughs> or just keep changing <laughs> the name. The <laughs> Why not? <laughs> no, but the SSC still overshadows these conversations. Mm. Every time somebody's like, let's build a really big one. People are like, yeah, but remember that time we asked for too much money. You traumatized. And we crashed and burned. Yeah. Wow. We're traumatized. We got PTSD. Particle traumatic stress <laughs> science syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Nobody really knows like how much money will the political system tolerate? Like a hundred billion dollars is a lot of money to spend on a collider. Fifty billion is a lot of money. Twenty billion is a lot of money. How much can we afford to spend mm. on these things? So we're talking about new colliders to maybe discover what dark matter is, maybe figure out what the graviton is. Is there a particle that mediates gravity? Is there a whole spectrum of crazy particles out there we haven't even anticipated? We're talking about spending that kind of money, maybe building one in China, maybe building one in Europe, the VLHC, they call it the Very Large Hadron Collider. But overshadowing all these conversations is a memory of the SSC, why it failed and how to avoid that kind of scenario in the future. Wow. Well, I think I have the solution, Daniel. I think it's pretty clear to me what needs to happen. What's that? You need to run for president. <laughs> that is never going to happen. Weissen 2036. <laughs> I want to build the $100 billion Weizsatron. <laughs> Do we get about 2,000 votes? Yeah. yeah, I'm a one-issue candidate. I'm going to slash the U.S. spending except for particle physics. Right, right. No, frankly, I'm, I'm frustrated. I don't understand why spending money on basic research isn't a bipartisan an issue. You know, if your goal is to understand the universe, it's definitely worth the money. If your goal is to improve education, it's definitely worth the money. If your goal is to improve technology or economics or anything, even, you know, potential military applications, spend money on basic research. Republicans, Democrats, centrists, liberals, conservatives, everybody should agree that money for basic research improves society. It's a good investment in ourselves. So I don't understand why we don't have a trillion dollar science budget. It's because you're not running for office, Daniel. I think you need to do it. <laughs> that was my pitch right that's there. Right. That, that's that was my stump, campaign that was your stump speech. Right <laughs> All right. Let's hope this goes viral then. 
But, you know, people also tend to view science as a zero-sum game. So if you're asking for money for your big collider, then probably it's going to squeeze the budget of other projects. Mm -hmm. And then you get into this question of like, what's more important? You know, researching potential vaccines for future viral pandemics or studying some crazy particles that nobody's ever right, seen before. Right. And those are really hard conversations to have. <laughs> well, at the moment, at the moment, it's not that hard, Daniel. I think, I think right now. <laughs> are you saying you're not voting for me for president? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I'm saying I have 16 years to, to think about it. So, That's right. You know, let's exactly. see how the, your platform evolves. So it's a it's a delicate balance. You know, you got to have good project management skills. So your project doesn't go four or eight billion dollars over budget. But you also have to understand the political landscape and how it's changing and how the various national governments are involved, want to be involved or don't want to be involved. It's really complex to manage such a big international project. Yeah, you're saying the problem is people, people. <laughs> Getting people to agree. Yeah, that's right. But science is by people and for people. And so it's important that people are invested. Right. And hey, that's one reason why we do this podcast is that people understand why these projects are so fascinating, why they're important, the secrets we could learn about the universe and why they're important, not just for a few thousand people in Lab Coast around the world, but for everybody, because everybody wants to know the answer to the questions. What's the universe made out of it? How did it start? And those answers could lie at the heart of the next big particle collider. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that and kind of makes you think of what could have been or what we could know, but currently don't know if only we explored more. That's right. There is some element of the multiverse out there in which they did build the superconducting super collider and they have the secrets of the universe and they are laughing at us because we are so clueless. Oh, man. Now I have FOMO mode. Exactly. Fear of missing out to a multiverse <laughs> up, up, observer. Jeez. <laughs> And it's infinite too, so it's infinite mm -hmm. FOMO mode. That's exactly what I have, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.